Our text is in John chapter 7 as we continue our way through John's gospel. John chapter number 7 for our text this morning. We continue in the story of Christ. There's a little Protestant coming up through. (laughs) Knows enough to protest. That's a good start. That's a good start. John chapter 7 for our text this morning, continuing on John's explanation of the life of Jesus leading up to his death on the cross, as we'll be heading that way, coming up in the Easter season, not that far away. We know that God made each person to be unique. There's only one of you. There's only one of me. Some people are happy about that. But in society, we embrace certain behaviors that we call normal. The way we speak, the way we dress. Certain behaviors are considered to be proper in polite society. And we follow certain boundaries that make us acceptable. But occasionally a person comes along who is just different from other people. The philosopher once said that we all march, but some of us hear a different drummer. My father was one of those people. He had to be different. Growing up, he constantly told us at the supper table that we were to be nonconformists. We don't conform to what other people say is expected of us. And he certainly didn't. As a result of that, some people just didn't know what to do with him. (laughs) And sometimes my mother didn't know what to do with him. He always wore pajamas under his clothes. My mother shrugged her shoulders. She says, your pajamas are sticking out. Tuck them in, you know. He got a new pair of socks. The first thing he did was took a pair of scissors and cut the band on the top of the socks. He didn't want them to be too tight. He only wore shirts that were blue. No other shirts. My mother shrugged her shoulders. He had a strange contempt for money. So my mother never gave him any. <laughs> She said, if, he, if I give it to him, he'll only lose it. When she was no longer able to handle their money or do the shopping, he had to take over. Many of the times I found a trail of $20 bills down the driveway because he crumpled up the money and stuck it in his pocket only to have it all fall out as he walked along. <laughs> he would eat everything out of a bowl, no matter what it was. On Thanksgiving or Christmas, my mother would set up a beautiful table with all of her best dishes. And he'd say, where's my bowl? She would say, you're not eating Christmas dinner out of a bowl. You're going to be civilized on Christmas. (laughs) And people used to come to me and tell me, sometimes they were embarrassed by things he did or said when they were with him. One fellow told me a story. He was driving down the road with my father as his passenger. They passed a couple of Japanese people who were watching birds. My father said, stop, I want to talk to those people. 
So he stopped and my father talked with the two Japanese bird washers. And as he finished the conversation, they were just getting ready to drive away. My father yelled out the window to the two Japanese people, I'm sorry we bombed you. <laughs> Obviously referring to World War II. <laughs> if somebody did something that my father thought was a little strange, he would point to them and he'd say, Tishtida! And one fella came to me one day and he says, Your father always says that word. What does it mean? I said, Well, it's Norwegian. It means you're out of your mind. You're crazy. Tishtida! <laughs> so he's telling you you're crazy, just you don't understand it. <laughs> I remember one fella said to me, When I first met your father, all he ever did was joke and laugh. And I thought, that's not a very serious person. But I found out later he was quite substantial. I thought to myself, I wonder what Dad would have said if someone called him substantial to his face. <laughs> I'm sure he'd have been on the floor rolling with laughter. That's the kind of thing he would have just got a real charge out of. People didn't know what to make of him. They never had experienced anybody quite like him. In our text today, we find all sorts of different reactions to Jesus of Nazareth. They just can't figure him out. They don't know what to make of him. He's so different from everyone else. And he doesn't conform to the standards set by society. So they just can't figure him out. In this chapter 7, John tells us about people's reactions to what Jesus did. And he starts out with a rather sad reaction. And so we begin John chapter 7 at the first verse. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he could not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart thence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then said Jesus unto them, My time is not come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up to the feast. I go not yet up to this feast, for my time is not yet full come. Here we see Jesus' relatives. These are family. People he grew up with. And they say to him, don't hide up here in Galilee Go down to Jerusalem. If you want to be famous, which we think what you want, go down to the Feast of Tabernacles where there's hundreds and thousands of people. Big crowds of people gather there for the holidays. Go there if you want to be famous. To his family, he was just big brother Jesus. They interpreted his behavior as a desire for fame. Jesus could care less about fame. They completely misunderstood him. So Jesus said, you 
Go on. Go without me. And verse 10. When his brethren were gone up, then went he up also to the feast, not openly, but as in secret. He does go to Jerusalem. After they leave, he secretly goes, secretly entering the city in some back doorway, purposely staying out of sight. Why? It was the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's a harvest feast. It would be like our Thanksgiving. And it's also a national campout week. Everybody all over went to Jerusalem and made little lean-tos right out in the middle of the street. And they camped in the streets of Jerusalem. It was a celebration of when Moses had led the children of Israel uh, and they all had lived in tents out in the wilderness. So it was one of the favorite holidays. It's a camp out. And people would go and take a week's vacation, go to Jerusalem, camp out in the streets with all their friends and relatives, celebrate Thanksgiving. As the crowds of people in those days entered the city, they denounced, we're here from Capernaum, we're here from Nazareth, we're here from Cana, wherever they were from. And if Jesus had gone with them, they would have shouted, and by the way, Jesus of Nazareth is here with us. Now it said in verse 1, the Jews wanted to kill Jesus. So Jesus stays behind. He doesn't want it to attract attention. Now some of these Jews who want to kill him are really bad people. They were the people who later on wanted to kill the Apostle Paul. And it said they hired 40 assassins who swore they wouldn't eat or drink until they killed the Apostle Paul. They're bad people. They want to now kill Jesus. So he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't want to enter Jerusalem amidst some cheering crowd. Later, he will do that. But it's not time yet. He's got work to finish. So he can't put himself in harm's way. But, verse 11, the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? There was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said he's a good man, others said nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. We have here a very important distinction in a text made by John the author. Two groups of people. One of them is called the Jews, and the other one is called the people. Now John uses the word Jews to describe the leaders in Jerusalem. Political leaders, religious leaders, temple leaders, people in charge of the government and the temple and the education system. They were high priests, they were Pharisees, they were lawyers called scribes, educators called rabbis, a whole class of people who controlled everything in Jerusalem. And those people want to know, where's this Jesus? The other group, John calls the people. Common, everyday, ordinary people. Farmers and tradesmen and workers and mothers and fathers and children. Just plain people who were definitely not in charge of anything. 
So why does he only call the leadership the Jews? Aren't the people Jewish too? Aren't they all Jews? Yes, they're all Jewish. But John is trying to tell us the attitude that prevailed in Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders said, we are the educated class. We're doing God's work. We are the chosen one. We are the real Jews. Well, these people are not God's chosen ones. They're uneducated. They're unrefined, ignorant people. Now, you and I, if we heard that, we might say, those arrogant snobs. I think everyone else is a scum of the earth. Which is true. That's what they thought. But it goes further than that. The Jewish leaders said that these common people were cursed by God. Incapable of ever amounting to anything. They are hopelessly doomed to fall short of God's laws. So they are instead cursed by God and will never be able to please God. Therefore, they said, we're the real Jews. We're the chosen ones. And you all, you're just the people. So naturally, the people are treated with contempt. Leaders look down their long noses at the people and say, you poor fools just don't know any better. So my friends, how would you like to go to a service with those kind of people in charge? (laughs) That's the way it was in Jerusalem and especially in the temple. So there's a tremendous tension between priest and people, between preacher and people. How does it work out? The Jewish leaders set up a bazaar in the temple courts. So if you're going to make a sacrifice on a holiday where you're there, you have to buy a lamb. That's why you went to Jerusalem to sacrifice. So you have to buy it at their bazaar. They were going to cheat you on the price. And your money is not accepted at the temple. You can't use Roman money or Greek money. You have to exchange your money for temple shekels. And so when you did that, they shortchanged you at the money changers' tables. So they rob you of your money. They call you the scum of the earth. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of tension In Jerusalem. Now watch this. Verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast. Jesus went up to the temple. And taught. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus came secretly to Jerusalem. Because the Jews wanted to kill him. Now he walks right into the temple. Starts teaching. That's not being secretive. Why so bold? All of a sudden, the temple is a huge complex. It covers 27 acres. It's huge. 
There's a lot of open courtyard space. And any rabbi could come into there somewhere, pick a spot somewhere in the courtyard, and start teaching. That's how they did things. So Jesus comes in unnoticed. Nobody notices him. He does what they all do. He picks a spot, and he starts teaching. Now everybody's been looking for him, and suddenly, here he is. He's right there. He's teaching out in the courtyard. What's he teaching? He's teaching the Bible. He's preaching a sermon out of the Bible just like we do. He's quite good at it. And before long, a huge crowd gathers to listen. Verse 15. The Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? The Jews say, wait a minute. He never went to our schools. He never sat under our rabbis. Matter of fact, he never attended any school. He's a carpenter's son. How does he know the Bible if we didn't teach him? Jesus answered them. He said, I've been sent here by God. If you love God, you'd understand what I'm saying. But it's you, he says, that doesn't know the Bible's not me. <laughs> that daring Jesus. He said, Moses gave laws in the part of the Bible that you love best. And one of those laws is thou shalt not kill. But now you want to kill me. Jesus is very bold. Verse 20. The people answered and said, thou hast the devil who goeth about to kill him? Notice, the people don't realize that the Jewish leaders want to kill Jesus. He's kept that a secret. They've kept that a secret from the common people, especially the people from Galilee. Verse 25. And some of them said in Jerusalem, Is this not he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Albeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth where he is. The people who live in Jerusalem know that the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. But they say, here he is. He's preaching right under their nose. Maybe they changed their mind. But Jesus can't be Messiah. When Messiah comes and says nobody will know where he came from, Jesus is from Galilee. We know his mother and father. And so his family thinks he wants to be famous. They got that wrong. Jewish leaders can't figure out how he can preach if they didn't teach him. And people say he's from Galilee. He can't be the Messiah. Nobody knows what to make of him. They're all confused. But some people are clever enough to see the truth. Verse 31. Many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than this which this man had done? And the Pharisees heard the people murmured such things concerning him. The Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Jewish leaders overheard the crowd, people in the crowd uh, speaking. And they, <coughs> people are saying, he does great miracles. 
We think he is the real one. We think he's Messiah. Now these Jewish leaders can't have people believing in Jesus. So they sent officers, go arrest him and bring him in for questioning. Get him in here. But it is now what's called the last day of the feast. The last day of that week of a holiday. Verse 37. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me as the scriptures has said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. It's the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's a very special ceremony that took place in the temple on that last day. It started around 7 a.m. in the morning. And they made a procession of priests surrounded by crowds of people. <coughs> they made their way through the streets of Jerusalem to a pool called Siloam. It was a spring-fed pool. It was about a mile from the temple to that pool. And there the priest went and took a solid gold pitcher. They filled it with water from the pool. And then the procession went back that mile to the temple carrying the golden pitcher filled with water. When they arrived at the temple, they carried that golden pitcher of water up to the altar where there was a funnel. They had made a funnel. This long funnel that flowed down and came out at the bottom of the altar. So with everybody shouting hallelujah or praise to God, they poured the water into the funnel and it came and ran out on the ground. It was called a drink offering. Now, the most famous drink offering of all time was done by King David. He and his men were in a battle and one day David said, oh, I'm really thirsty. I wish I had a drink from the well at Bethlehem. Well, three of his bravest men heard David's words, and those three men fought their way through the enemy lines, went to Bethlehem, got a big old pitcher of water right out of the Bethlehem well. They fought their way back through the enemy lines. And they gave this pitcher of water to David. And David said, what's this? They said, well, we fought our way through the enemy lines and got to Bethlehem's well, brought it for you. We heard you wanted it, so we brought you a drink. And we fought our way back through. You said you wanted a drink from Bethlehem's well. Here it is. David said, you risked your life twice to give me this water. It would be selfish of me to drink it. I'm going to give it to God. And so in a solemn and delightful moment, with a hallelujah, David poured it on the ground and said it belonged to God. Because it was so precious and valuable, David gave it back to God. Now water was valuable in Israel 
It's a dry climate. Water is extremely valuable. So at the end of their Thanksgiving feast, they walked two miles, brought back a golden pitcher of water, and then gave it to God. But there was something wrong this year. The priest who dipped out the water and carried it a mile back and poured it down that funnel, that priest had contempt for the people that were watching. The people started shouting hallelujah, but they know that the priest really didn't like them. So what was meant to be special and meaningful because it was a pouring out drink offering turned into just a formality, just a ceremony, and the tension between the priests and the people didn't change. And it added to that tension and that stress. Nobody knows what to make of Jesus. But Jesus understands what the poured out water is all about. He knows that the Jewish leaders, the priests who poured out the water, think that they are the chosen one and the rest of the people are cursed by God. So in reality, the priests are saying, God loves me, but he doesn't love you. And Jesus can't hold it back anymore. And as the water is poured out and runs down in the ground and all the hallelujahs die down, in that moment of short silence, he cries out with a loud voice that echoes through the temple courtyard, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If you really want God to bless you and to quench your thirsty soul, then you've got to come to me, he says. And I'll give you all the best blessings that God has to offer. The very finest water there is. I will satisfy your thirsty heart and soul. I'll offer you something more, something better. Something better than even that. I will fill your heart up with love until it overflows. And the love will come out of you in a river of love and compassion. It will flow out from you into somebody else. It'll set you free. It'll fill them up too. And it'll keep flowing until a river of love flows from one person to another person, from one heart to another heart, from person to person, sharing the love, spreading the blessing, overflowing like a river until all around you people will feel God's love and blessing flowing out from me to you and on and on and on to every soul until they all are filled. What a contrast in attitude, huh? The attitudes that prevailed in the temple. My friends, God is no snob. He offers himself to everyone. In a flood of water, flowing full and free, Jesus generously offers himself to you and to me. And to those people that were just people. He even offers himself to the priest. Even to the Jews that were trying to kill him. Yes, the offer is made to all. If anyone, he says, thirst, come to me and drink. 
If you don't know what to make of Jesus, there he is right there. In love, he offers to fill your heart to overflowing until it pours out from one person to the other. Verse 45. Then came the officer to the chief priests and Pharisees. They said unto him, Why have you not brought him? And the officers answered, Never man spake like this man. We sent you to arrest him. Why didn't you bring him? Where is he? We couldn't arrest him. Why not? You should have heard it. You should have been there. You should have heard what he said. He's so real. It's so different than what we're used to. He's so inviting. He's so kind. We just couldn't arrest him. After all, he won the people's hearts in two sentences. Verse 47. Then answered the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. There you have it. They said the people are just cursed. They admit right there that only themselves are God's chosen one. Verse 50, Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet. Every man went to his own house. There were many people among the Jewish leaders who weren't so arrogant. And Nicodemus is one of them. So Nicodemus tries to defend Jesus. He's actually a Pharisee. He's actually a ruler. A very important person. He's one of them. But Jesus got to him. <laughs> he won Nicodemus over. And Nicodemus changed his mind. So my friends, the question is, what do you make of Jesus. What's your opinion of him? Who do you think he is? Oh, he's different. He's different. But in a wonderful way, he will fill you up with love and blessing, open your heart, and let him pour himself into your life. He'll fill you up, he said, to overflowing until it runs out of you to the next one and the next one and the next one. That's who he is. That's what he wants to do for you. May God bless you as you experience the love of God in Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, what a fountain you are. That can fill us to the top till we can't hold it anymore. We look forward to those kind of experiences. Fill us up and let it flow out of us so that others may drink. And just keep pouring and pouring.
We come to you that you might fill the hunger in our hearts, quench the thirst that we have. We might know that Jesus is everything and all that we ever need. So bless us as we grab a hold of you. And in that special way, drink until we are filled to overflowing. Help us, Lord, to see just who you are. Not to be confused, but to know how special and wonderful you can be. Bless us as we respond to you in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I'd like to turn to your hymn books, if you will. Hymn number 433. Standing as we sing, hymn number 433. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. Standing as we sing, 433. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Page 433.
Lord, we know that we need you greatly, Lord. We pray that we would not go to the world for those things which offer nothing, those things that are vain. But Lord, we pray that we would come to you where you offer water in which we will never thirst again. When the world offers those things in which we will always come back thirsty and always come back hungry, we know that you have offered us something better, something eternal. May our hearts lean that way. May we want and desire what you have. May we come to you, although you are not what we are often used to. May we think like you think. May we come and know your great love, your great kindness, your great mercy. May we have it in our hearts. May we spread it. May the joy that we receive overflow into other people's lives. We're thankful that you have cared enough to come to this earth to give us an opportunity to drink. We pray that we would. We pray that our hearts would be ready. Watch over us, we pray, and protect us. Keep us safe. Bring us back. May we thirst for you each and every week, coming back for more. We are grateful for those things that you have given to us. We ask for this in your name.